You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, Cruz is going to pray for you guys, okay? And we're all going to pray, all the parents, we're going to bow our heads and pray alongside Cruz for you and, and for, all that, for all the good stuff you're going to learn in Sunday school today. All right? Go for it, buddy. Just, I just um, pray for these kids today, um, and uh, all the and all that you have made, pretty much. And um, I really praise you, Lord. And I hope these kids will learn about you more and more when they, well, they get learn, well, they get taught to by Linda. And I hope that all of these kids will pray to you every night and day, even when they're sleeping in their minds. Amen. Amen. And all the church said? All right. Cruz, man, can't wait, man. You're going to take over. We're going to work together. It's going to be great. Take over. All right. You guys have an awesome time at church, Sunday church with the and Linda and the teachers and the trainers. I'm just going to move this a little bit. And would you please rise for the reading of God's word? That's a really tough act to follow. <clears throat> All right. First John uh, 1, 5 through 10. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of God. Good. Thank you, Leanne. Appreciate that. My name is Jer. If you haven't met, if we haven't met before, my name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the Shore Church, and it's so great to be here with you this morning. Uh, this is an amazing text, but let me let me start uh, kind of this morning with a question. And the question is: Do you have a, a friendship or or a relationship or a friend that tells it like it is? A friend that tells it like it is. Right? I, a friend that doesn't pull any punches when it comes to telling you something they feel strongly about. See, in this social media era that we live in, more and more people are finding their voice, right? People now have an audience to express their opinions, thoughts, for all to hear. A voice that goes far past their immediate friendships. Not like when I was growing up. It was the immediate friendships were the ones that your voice would go to, and that's kind of it. But this is great, but it also has created chaos in many ways that we just won't be able to get back. See, we have a waterfall of life lessons and propaganda now thrown at us daily, mostly based on people's feelings rather than fact. And some go as far as saying, God told me, which is confusing for those that actually don't fully know what God has already said. 
See, we also have a government that is stepping more and more into the authority of the family, teaching our kids in schools, daycares, and public libraries what we as parents ought to teach and how to discipline. And these so-called professionals have a far different worldview teaching how to raise your children rather than looking actually into the scripture. And the government is also stepping into the life of the church, telling us God's children how we ought to define marriage, sexuality, and identity. And the list is only going to grow and become more invasive the longer we, re- we as the church remain silent. The government is also stepping into the life of all health professionals, counselors, psychologists, and doctors alike being threatened with their licenses if they don't adhere to the cultural narrative. I'm not sure if you remember, but what I grew up with uh, in childhood, what I grew up with when I was in grade one, and I've shared this before, um, is vastly different from what my kids grew up when they were in grade one. See, in public school up until grade one, at least I had one teacher that would have us read the Lord's Prayer before every class. Now we have drag queens reading books to our children about two fathers. We have books geared towards our children showing sex acts such as masturbation and positions with a partner. 14 years ago, while doing youth ministry, there was this video shown on the CBC, which was a documentary so about sexual intimacy within the teenage kind of uh, age group. And so I recorded this thing back on my VCR, uh, which was great. And I'm not sure if, well, most of you probably remember VCR. Uh, but this, uh, this uh, documentary of sorts on the CBC, again, 14 years ago, um, interviewed these grade eight students, and one of them said that, you know what, actually performing oral sex on my, my boyfriend was less intimate than actually kissing them. See, now these are the teachers. This is 14 years ago. These are our teachers, this is our culture, and they remain confused. Teachers not even knowing if they are a man or a woman teaching sex education. And I did some research showing some outcomes of society when the Bible was removed from the public system, and it goes back all the way to 1963. It's actually outrageous. You can see it on the screen. It's really quick. It's a terrible screen. You won't be able to read the the slides. Uh, But on the one side, it says sexual transmitted diseases. On that line there, that's when the Bible was removed from society, and it just went astronomical, went through the roof. And again, the one under the right, same kind of thing, 1963, that says single-parent households. The next slide, again, keep, we'll just file through these slides. The, the one on the left is actually quite interesting. It's the SAT total scores and just plummeted. Uh, these are all actually stats from the states. Uh, birth raises for unmarried girls. Uh, from 15 to 19 years of age, uh, went through the roof. Next one. Uh, Pregnancies among unwed girls, 15 to 19 years of age, same thing, through the roof. Divorce rates, through the roof. Uh, Next one. Unmarried couples living together, through the roof. Single-parent households, through the roof. And I think that might be it. Oh, one more. Violent crime, number of offenses, through the roof. Child abuse reported, through the roof. I think that's it. These are quick stats. You can find them anywhere if you just Google. And it's actually quite, it's continued to increase since 1963 when we remove the scriptures from our school system, through from our society. See, I'm opening this way because last year around this time, I spoke against Bill C-4. Bill C-4, which was fast-tracked by our government into law, conservative and liberal alike, 
which speaks against God-ordained marriage and claims it to be a myth. Like you can actually, I can actually, uh, if we teach this, God-ordained marriage, which is one man from birth, which is crazy, I have to actually say that nowadays. One man, one woman, being united in marriage, no exceptions. That's what biblical marriage teaches, and the government put into law through Bill C-4 that that is a myth. And just to be clear, God, this God-ordained marriage, I'm reminding us of this because across our country, faithful pastors are preaching on biblical sexuality today or at least mentioning it like I am right now. Now, this isn't difficult because sex is talked about in every single book in the New Testament. And if sin is mentioned anywhere, sex outside of marriage, one man, one woman that are married, falls into that category of sin. So making biblical marriage a myth and promoting sex to our kids is religious behavior, far from what God has commanded in his word. Therefore, we must talk about it. Francis Schaeffer, 1981, said this. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. It's a quote from, from him, the theologian. It says, Christianity is not a series of truths in plural, but rather truth spelled with a capital T. Truth about total reality, not just about religious things. Biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality, what we live in. And the intellectual holding of that total truth, capital T, truth, and then living in the light of that truth. This is how we are to live as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. Another author definition of truth. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God. Truth is what God thinks. It is what God does. It is what God is. It is what God has revealed of himself in the Bible. Truth is found in the fullest form in God, for he is truth. He is the very source and origin of all truth. And friends, church, we need to begin to stand for truth. Stand against sexual immorality against abortion, against any law that breaks what we have been commanded to stand for in the Holy Scriptures. And right now, many things are being attacked. So I want to stand one more time and pray together as a form of standing. So if you please rise with me, just to standing before the throne of God, and we'll pray and then we'll enter into First John, one that does not pull any punches. Lord, we stand before you as your servants, as your saints. And please, Lord, I ask that you empower us to be faithful, truth speakers. When, when things are being taught, when things, to our, especially to our children, when things are being proclaimed in culture, help us, Lord, be bold and courageous. This is the persecution of North America right now. And may we be bold and courageous in proclaiming truth. Help us, Lord. And help us glean from this text this morning out of 1 John 1, 5 through 10, your word, Jesus. It's your word. It actually says it right in the text. And so help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, live this out faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can grab a seat. <clears throat> Well, like I said, this is a, 
sorry for the heaviness, but this is a heavy topic. This is one of those things I started with. Do you have a friend that is a truth speaker? Well, John in this epistle is a truth speaker. He is one that doesn't pull any punches. And we have to take notice because these are the very words of God. But more so because John is acting as a friend, like I said, that isn't pulling any punches. My prayer is that this little book will challenge us, encourage us to be faithful truth speakers. Faithful truth speakers and be awakened at least to maybe the deception that we've lived in for decades. So John isn't the only apostle that confronts the things of society. Uh, we see this actually in Galatians, right at the beginning of the book of Galatians. Apostle Paul writes this. It's on the screen. It says, I am astonished. This is the Galatian church. I am astonished that you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, like Paul, Paul is just like, but even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. God ordained marriage before the fall happened. There is another good news. That's what gospel means, good news. There's a good news that is being proclaimed in this society right now that we ought to stand for. See, I'm not sure if you noticed as Leanne read through the text, but we're going to break it down together. So it's actually on the back of your bulletin. If you have one, you can actually... Uh, follow along with the bulletin, take some notes, uh, see if I'm actually preaching what the text is saying, because I want, I need, I need you as much as you need me. And if you don't have one, they're back on the back, and there's also Bibles back there. If you don't own a Bible, please grab one, our gift to you. But let's grab our Bibles together. And Leanne read the text for us in verses five through ten, and right at the start, an intro. Verse five, I just claimed as an intro. And the next, five, or the next few verses start with if we, every single one of them. If we, if we, if we, if we, if we. Five if we's. And that's kind of the title of my text. So let's look at the intro first. It's, again, I want to read verse five for us. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Did you get it? Did you see it? Like we can't miss this. We can't miss this. John is about to repeat the very message that Jesus proclaimed to him, proclaimed to the apostles. Like it's right there in the text. It says, this is the message we have heard from him. He's about to share the very message that Jesus preached. And man, we got to take notice of this. This is sweet. This is like, this is literally Jesus's words and John's about to repeat them. Like this is the Jesus, as we learned last week in verses 1 through 4, that we heard. We touched him. We looked upon him. We saw the miracles. We, we now proclaim him. Well, what do we proclaim? The very words that he preached. This is the true Jesus, the message we have in our hands, the very words of God. And man, I, I don't know if I can get any more excited about this. This is sweet. Like this is the, this is the intro of all intros. And then he says, 
and we need to pay attention. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So our starting point, our intro, is that the message of Jesus proclaimed as he walked in this earth is that God is light and he is the, without sin. God is perfectly holy. Perfectly holy. In Revelation 4, 8, we see a picture of the throne of those of the throne and those around the throne of God are saying nonstop, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like the repeated word holy, this is the emphasizing point where some theologians go holy, holier, holiest. This is when you repeat this word holy, holy, holier, holiest. This is the message of Jesus. This is the message in the heavens, the pure, unadulterated message of who God is. And we have to start there. Like remember in our discipleship series, we started with God and then we moved towards application of us. Same thing John is doing here. It's a theme in scripture of look at God first and then let's follow. And John is doing the same thing. In, in the beginning, he was. First verse. This is the Jesus that was from the beginning. That everything through him, for him, and to him was created. This is the message of Jesus. And now he is proclaiming God is light and there is no darkness in him. This is the pure, unadulterated message in the heavens. And this is the starting point for all of creation. This is the goal of how we are to run. Like we are to run holy. Like to win the prize, you must run with excellence. Like think about it. If two runners are running, the one that's going to win is the better runner. Right? Far be it. Like better, better, more talented, more diligent in his, in his training or her training. Right? Skilled, faster, efficient. This, that's going to be the winner every single time. The intro to this next section of scripture is that God is holy, perfect light, the perfect runner, and in him there is no darkness. He is the one that we are to look upon. So that's the intro. Now to the five if we's. And there's a pattern here. You can see it on the screen. Maybe you didn't get it when uh, Leanne read through it, but I want to show you the pattern. You can see it there. If we say, if we walk, if we say, if we confess, if we say. Things to do and things to be challenged by. So look at the first if we in verse 6. It says right there, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Like, again, this is the word and the thing that Jesus proclaimed to John, and he is proclaiming now to us through this amazing letter. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I've got this diagram on the screen. Uh, I've shown this to you before. I'm not sure why the first John is behind there. I'm not sure if we can f try and fix that. I have no idea how to fix it, so I'm not going to be a help to you. Uh, but let me, let me help you with it. Oh, there you go. Good job. And so you have God the Father. He's above all things, for all things. And in him, through the Son, through his Son, Jesus, has given us everything. Like we've done nothing. Like in Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10, we are weak enemies and sinners of God. And he dies for us while in that state. 
In Ephesians 1, 3, it says every heavenly spiritual blessing is ours. Like he is bestowing upon us an enormous amount of blessing, unending blessing. We were, we are actually never empty. We are always overflowing, always. And then he goes, I'm calling you to now go and love others the way I've just loved you. This is the message of the scripture. God loves you and is calling you to love others the way he has loved you. See, this is a big deal. John is telling us something that he is going to repeat throughout his letter, that light, remember God is light, that light manifests in love. Let me show you. In verse uh, 2, verse 9, 1 John, it says, whoever the light is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. See, light manifests love. It's, it's an equal saying. It's an equal word. God is completely light, but he's also completely love. And again, in 1 John 3.10, it says, whoever does not practice righteousness, like the goodness, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Light manifests love. See, righteousness, perfection, holiness, light is tied to the love you have received from God and passed toward another. In John 12.46, John's gospel that he wrote earlier says, I have come into the world as light. This is Jesus speaking. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness, believes and loves him, remain or remain hating your neighbor. See, the first if we is an action step on our part to cut off the darkness we participate in. And there's darkness in all of us. Right? You see, the, you see, this point takes me back to my intro on Bill C4. If you, if we are living in reality, looking at pornography, sleeping with someone other than your spouse, according to Matthew 5, 8, 28, it says, if you simply look at someone else with lustful thoughts, you're an adulterer at heart. You don't even have to be in the same room. This is why the government overstep into the church proclaiming what is morally right or wrong is not their job. They have civil authority, but not spiritual. God is the authority, not man. It's not sexual sin. Looking at lying, if you, li- if you are living in lies, according to 1 John 1, 6, if you have said something untrue, over-exaggerated the truth, and you are living in it, you are in darkness. So sexual sin, lying, look at, what about stealing? If you have taken something that does not belong to you, darkness. We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. We're living contrary to what Jesus proclaimed. These are his words that John is proclaiming now to us. It's an important message to hold on to and allow to convict our hearts. The second if we, in verse 7, it says this, but, but, and that's a, oh man, that's a good but. I need that one. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, walking in love, holiness, purity, light produces fellowship. And we learned this last week, right? In verse three, you can go back to it. In verse three, it actually says fellowship twice. Like when you confess that true Jesus, you have fellowship with one another. You also have 
Jesus Christ. See, walking in love produces fellowship with one another and Jesus' blood, not our works, cleanses us from all sin. And may you hear that. Jesus' blood, not your works, cleanses you from all sin. So yes, we are called to run a clean but it is Jesus and Jesus alone that makes us clean, holy, perfect in the eyes of God the Father. And hear this, like friends, our walking, saying, and confessing doesn't save us. It reveals your salvation. It reveals it. Your walking, saying, and confessing doesn't save you. It reveals your salvation. How you live your life reveals your heart, and it is the heart of man that will be judged. And we see that all over Scripture. I'll give you two spots, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, this is when God is bringing a king to his, his people. King David, when he was a little shepherd boy, talking through Samuel, says, Do not look at his appearance, Samuel, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks in the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, your outward responses, whether good or bad, are from the heart. Luke 6, 45 says, The good person, good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So if you proclaim Jesus out of your mouth, but act completely opposite, the light of Jesus is actually not in you. It's not in you. If you're a true Christian, there will be times you act this way, but it will burn you up to the point of confession. That leads us to our next one. Like if, if you're walking in darkness, you're far from him. And you're called to draw near because he is drawing near to you always. And that it would burn you up if you're a true Christian. Number three, if we say in verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is, these are full-on right hooks right now. Not pulling any punches. And this is, again, Jesus' words to the apostles. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, this is tricky. The verse before it is telling us to walk in the light, but here it says every one of us is sinful. And over the years, there have been all kinds of cults and false teachers spreading lies. One of them is that you can go a day without sinning and even years. I actually worked with a guy that was a Seventh-day Adventist. And we were talking and I was sharing the gospel with him. And, and he goes, whoa, 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 when I got to the, the idea of sin, he goes, no, 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 I've been sinless for seven years. And I was like, wow, uh, do you realize that you have just sinned by saying that statement? And he goes, what are you talking about? Well, I then went through these verses that I'm going to go through with you on the screen. 3.10, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. So what you're doing, my friend, is saying something contrary to what Scripture says. No one's righteous. Romans 3.23, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it gets even harder. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And then a real hard one is James 4.17 where it says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Like, we got to remember, God is holy. No darkness within him. James 4.17 there, 
is equivalent to walking by a piece of garbage and in your heart you know you ought to pick it up and put it in the garbage can and you don't, according to this verse, it's sin. Like the holiness of God is perfect. Every single action, every single thing coming out of his mouth, everything is perfect. There's no way we can match this. And Isaiah 64, 6 says it again. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds. Isaiah is saying, everything that you do good is like a worthless rag to the Lord. See, we each one, each and every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory and light and the light of Jesus. And friend, if you are in habitual sin, your heart will forever be darkened. And verse 8 concludes with the truth is not even in us. If we're living in habitual sin, unrepentant, darkened, not really desiring to confess it at all, then you need to, and this is what I said at the start, it might be decades that you've been living in this. You may not be a Christian. So what do we do? Verse 9 says we confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing message this is. See, this is a command from Jesus. Again, remember, John simply repeating the message he had heard from Jesus and is proclaiming it again to us. And Jesus has been quoted by all his disciples that we are to confess our sins. We see this in Matthew when he taught disciples to pray. We see this throughout the scripture. Even his half-brother, one who, who grew up with him now as a leader of the church, James, in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. See, confession is an ongoing process. Peter asked Jesus one day, how many times ought I forgive my brother? And Jesus repeated, saying in Matthew 18, 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 77 times. In other words, Jesus is repeating to Peter going, eternally, you keep forgiving him. So you confess that you might be cleansed. And this also, to those battling, maybe listening in here on the screen, to the LGBTQ community, the Bible's message is for you also. If you confess your sin and put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, you can be saved. It's a clear message. If we, the last if we in verse 10, it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, this is a repeat of the third if we in verse 8, but John takes it a bit further here. He says, you're not only deceived, but you call God a liar. And the same result is for both. God is far from you. In other words, you are not a Christian. If you're deceiving and calling God a liar, you can't actually be a follower of his. You may have attended church all your life, gone to all camp conferences, but if your heart is evil and unchanged, the truth is not in you. 
It's not. We're called in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to constantly be checking our hearts. See, Jesus gives us a picture of those that have lived in darkness, thinking that they're in the light. Look at Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We just heard the will of the Father in 1 John. Confess your sin. Repent. And I'll cleanse you. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will Jesus declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, this book we are studying is a tough one. It's a tough one. John does not pull any punches when he speaks here. He's proclaiming the message of Jesus. See, John makes bold statements in this letter. He doesn't, he doesn't hold back. What, but what I love about this is that John just proclaimed in the first chapter this message Jesus proclaimed to him. He, he received it as well and was convicted to the bone. The message wraps up in this way, just on the screen. It says, if you say you have fellowship, but walk in darkness, you aren't a Christian. If you say you are without sin, you deceive yourself, you aren't a Christian. If you say you are without sin, you call God a liar, you aren't a Christian. But the two buts in the middle of those warnings, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship and are cleansed. If you confess your sin to Jesus, you're cleansed. There's freedom for you. So the big idea here is John is getting across is don't just say the word, but be a doer of the word from the heart. Right down to the core. And that takes some evaluation. That takes some checking what is going inward in me right now. Is there hatred that I'm holding on to or is there a light, a love for others, for neighbor, for God? And if there is, then ask the Holy Spirit to just convict you of these things and, and confess your sin. This is what we're called to do. And it goes back to verse 4. By doing this, your love will be complete. Your joy will be complete in him. So good. So good. Alyssa, come and lead us in more worship. Let us pray. And I want to pray uh, Psalm 51 for us. And if you have, it's not on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 51. I just want to pray this psalm f to us. So let's pray together. Psalm 51, 1 through 17. Lord, have mercy on us, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For I know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. And against you, you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Behold, Lord, we, we were brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did our mothers conceive us. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, you, and, te- and you teach us wisdom in the secret heart. So, Lord, purge us with hyssop, and, and we shall be clean. Wash us, and we, we shall be whiter than snow. Let us hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all our iniquities. And create, us, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. Then we will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver us from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of our salvation, and our tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delay in sacrifice, or we would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help us not point to another, but actually point inward to our own heart and and see how we are matching up to the light. And help us receive you, Jesus, fully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength that we might confess the sin of our heart and and allow you to pay for the very thing you're asking us to hand over, our sin. So help us, Lord, in these days to come, be proclaimers of you and your amazing message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 